0: Greetings, this is Austin Bridges welcoming you to the LL Research Podcast in the Now, episode number 63. LL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually-oriented information and fostering community, and towards this end has two websites. The archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. During each episode, we respond to questions sent to LL Research from spiritual seekers like you our panel today consists of Jim McCarty, Gary Bean, and one very special guest, Jeremy Wyland, as well as myself. All of us are devoted students of The Law of One. Your questions allow us to explore The Law of One and related matters of metaphysical interest. We hope only to offer a resource that enhances your own seeking process. Please know that our replies are not final or authoritative. We ask each who listens to exercise their discernment and be sensitive to their resonance in determining what is true for them. If you would like to submit a question for this show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. You may either send us an email to contact at llresearch.org or go to www.llresearch.org slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Austin, and we are embarking on a new episode of LL Research's weekly podcast, or uh, bi-weekly podcast, actually, in the now. Is everybody here and ready to go?
1: Yes, indeed.
2: I believe I am. Yes, Jeremy is here.
0: And that would be our special guest, Jeremy, uh, one of the more frequent questioners on this show. Um, He always has the best questions, I think, but... Today we are discussing a question that actually did not come from him, but we have invited him on the show because it relates to what we believe his path has been uh, recently, and he's a very eloquent guy, so we decided why not have him back on the show to make things <laughs> a little more interesting. I got the pressure up. <laughs> so, our uh, <laughs> yeah, don't mess this up, Jeremy. Uh, Our question today comes from Spencer via the Bring Forth Forums, who writes, In prior sessions, Kuo describes the idea that there is a path of wisdom and a path of the open heart. Buddhism tends to appeal more to those on the path of wisdom, and Christianity tends to appeal more to those of the open heart. Also, I believe that Kuo once said that the path of the open heart tends to produce results more quickly. In the United States, most spiritual seekers who are awakening are on the path of the open heart. However, some of us are unequivocally on the path of wisdom. It is easy for us to get stuck in a rut due to a rather academic approach to spirituality. And it is also easy to become emotionally stubborn because the knowledge of human behavior makes it difficult, makes it more difficult to take social situations and interactions seriously. Beyond daily meditation and stillness, you always know, people know what our initial answers are going to be, which is meditate. Um, How can we find balance and perhaps gain more of what is commonly found by those who cannot approach spirituality through an intellectual lens? So first, I guess, let's get some initial reactions to Spencer's questions, maybe uh, directly answering that question he asks at the end. And then I've got some follow up thoughts on the dynamic he's talking about to uh, ask you guys about. So um, let's start with our special guest, Jeremy, what are your thoughts on Spencer's question?
2: Yeah, I, I think this is, this is a question that really uh, gets into some of the things I've been thinking about lately, specifically uh, Buddhism. Um, And I have to say that um, I, along with him thought that Buddhism was a much more intellectual path uh, before I started reading about it, um, I don't really feel that way anymore. Um, in fact, I've been reading this book uh, by uh, a Buddhist nun named Pima Chodron called When Things Fall Apart. The, the idea that there you have to make a choice of the path that you follow, uh, if that's what the questioner means, I would dispute that a little bit. I think you need both of them. You need both the path of wisdom and the path of the open heart. And I think there's a reason why in the sequence of lessons uh, through the densities, we open our hearts typically before we start uh, focusing on the wisdom path. Now, I know that if you're a wanderer, you may be here because you've already uh, integrated heart lessons, and that's fine. Um, I I don't have a problem with that. I just would uh, point out that uh, there is a sense in my life, at least— in which focusing on the intellect has 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 led to a distraction from uh, focusing on the heart, and so uh, a I don't think Buddhism uh, rejects the open heart. In fact, I think the whole bodhisattva—I I, I don't really pronounce it well—but there's a whole. Uh, school of thought in buddhism that is not just on opening the heart but on dealing with the emotional energy of all situations and using that as good grist for the mill um and that's what i've been uh focusing on lately um so why don't i just leave it there and recollect myself
0: (laughs) yeah i think that's actually a good place or a good thing to say initially is that um I'm not sure how accurate Kuo's perception of Buddhism is necessarily, and none of us... I think, Jeremy, you'd probably be the most uh, knowledgeable about Buddhism in general, so it's good for you to state that up front. Um, Jim, what do you think about Spencer's question?
1: Well, I was wondering if he was talking about consciously choosing to pursue the path of wisdom instead, or if anybody would be consciously choosing the path of wisdom over the path of the open heart, when we know that the heart is the center we're trying to open to get into the fourth density of love and understanding. So, I was, I was just wondering um, if people, uh, how people would make choices if they are aware of what we need to do to get there. And then I'm also wondering, secondarily, and actually more importantly, um, what really happens when we choose to do one thing or another. Because, in my own experience, I have chosen oh, way back in the beginning when we had the raw contact, I even asked a uh, quote or quote, <laughs> raw question about uh, my balancing. I thought, well, I'm uh, trying to accept myself and trying to become the creator and so forth, so wouldn't it be more sensible to just get right to being the creator? And, you know, I was sort of uh, intellectual and arrogant with that particular question. And, uh, Rod gently let me know that, um, before you could accept yourself, you had to know what it was you were accepting, and which was to tell me that you don't, you're not doing what you think you're doing. (laughs) It was a really nice way of saying that, too. Um, so I, I know that for many, many years, I thought that I was pursuing the path of the open heart. But as I look back upon it now, and considering the experiences I've had in the last couple of years, I can see that I was not pursuing the path of the open heart. I mean, I, I was trying to, but what I was really doing was a, an intellectual evaluation of my situation and attempting to move forward, uh, basically in the way uh, Spencer's talking about, uh, it with the mind and uh, and incorporating wisdom. And for me, it didn't happen that the heart opened because I tried to open it it seemed to open because it was time for it to open and there were stages to it. And I was not in control of those stages. So I'm, um, just wondering how much our choices are really effective, how, how, um, how we can really direct our own growth when we know we have pre choices that will at some point kick in. Um, when Carla passed away, it was within two weeks. All of a sudden, this uh, starter's gun went off in my body, mind, spirit, and I was on another journey. And it wasn't something I chose. I didn't say, well, well now I'm, I'm going to just do this. It, it happened to me. And there were three or four other things of that nature that helped me to open my heart. So I'm just curious about what our choices really do and if we are really more wise (laughs) to pay attention to our catalyst and to go with what happens to us and make the best of everything because we have made choices previous to the incarnation that will present us opportunities to do exactly what we want to do.
0: Uh, That is an amazing question. I wish that we could ask Ross something like that. Um, but that, that's great discussion, too. Uh, thank you for that. Gary, what are your thoughts on Spencer's question? You might be muted, Gary, if you're trying to talk right now.
3: So, Jim was saying something. He said some things. And I wanted to say some things in reply to those. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Quickly, uh, Jim had said that, like, Jim was pondering... <clears throat> At what level free will is really operating? Like because things happen to Jim, and my quick um, cursory thought was that um, if if the choice isn't made on a conscious level for the heart to open, but nevertheless it does, then perhaps the role of the conscious mind in that regard is to um, assent to the change, to support the change, and even prior to that, to foster the environment within which that change can emerge in the first place so you know maybe your conscious choices were attending to yourself and the environment and your general orientation as a spiritual seeker and in that space the heart could emerge but um just a quick thought could be you know off the wall wrong so in my reply i just wanted to uh, examine What wisdom is relative to the heart in brief? Um, Because they are distinct energies. They're, as Ross says, two sides of the same coin. And as Jeremy says, they don't have to be exclusive paths. You need both, uh, certainly, uh, upon the positive path. Um, But nevertheless, there is a distinction between them. And I think that the downside to the intellectual capacity is that it keeps experience at arm's length. Um, The intellect spends a great deal of time analyzing, categorizing, compartmentalizing, and creating conceptual barriers between and around experience. Um, Indeed, the intellect can create... Uh, a consensual world that may or may not correspond with, you know, what's happening and all of the analysis that the intellect can perform is, is needed to help the processing and the integration of experience. Rod does ascribe to the Blu-ray, the function of integrating one's experience into the overall self. But uh, it's first and foremost, the heart that really breaks the self open to experience. Um, Jeremy sent us that Pima Sojourn book, and, and she emphasizes uh, that point as well. It's, it's really the heart that makes one sufficiently vulnerable to let down the defenses in order to allow the experience to touch the self, to breathe it into the lungs and to make full contact with your beingness. And once the self allows the self to experience the catalyst, um, to really just sit with it and feel feel its feeling tones and allow it to be without analysis or manipulation or attachment or aversion uh, upon the Buddhist path, then it is that wisdom can begin its investigation into the catalyst. But I think like first, it has to be brought into the heart. It has to be felt there and accepted. And then wisdom can then seek understanding and can speak to the various energies within the self or speak to the other selves involved in the catalyst. Uh, Like I was saying, the wisdom can integrate the experience and seek out a new balance. But notice, though, like Jeremy was describing the sequence of evolution, and Jim hinted at this too, that wisdom follows love in the hierarchy of chakras. The blue ray or throat chakra is empowered, enabled, and activated only insofar as the heart opens and allows that energy, a.k.a. your life, to move through it. Uh, Thus it is that love informs and is the foundation for a blue ray. But wisdom exercised without the heart leans toward and eventually becomes negative wisdom. That is wisdom used not toward unity, but toward separation. And Ra warned of this too, that uh, what did they say exactly? Something about the way the intellect can, or too much order can be negative. But if you bring if you start with the heart first, or you start and end with the heart, that order can be put to positive uses. Well, I think that's the gist of um, what I wanted to say. As to how to get into the heart, I think um, Jeremy has had a lifetime of trying to answer these questions because he's, he has a really powerful Strong intellect. I mean, we're all intellectual people, but uh, Jeremy especially has been a very what you might call analytical person. And uh, he's done a lot of intentional and conscious work to um, with awareness of that tendency to get into his heart. But back to the host. Um,
0: So, yeah, I think uh, I have some thoughts speak more directly to that question, too. But I think first, I would like to turn it over to Jeremy to see if he has um, any initial thoughts that talk about the how of getting from the head to the heart.
2: Oh, well, that's very generous. Thank you. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I, I really have to say I I consider myself in in a way a dilettante in all this. In Buddhism, I've been reading this book, and it's the first book I've really dove into Buddhism on. In terms of emotions, I can tell you exactly when I started to really reckon uh, with, with with taking the emotional experience seriously. And it was Homecoming 2015, listening to Jim talk about his heart-opening experience. And it really uh, inspired something in me. Uh, it's a very discreet event for me. Um I think that uh, – so I had very similar uh, notes to what you said, Gary, um, I, in terms of how the intellect uh, is a way that sometimes can protect us and, 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 and distance us from heart-based experience. Uh, what I said in my notes was that, uh, that the two things that I, I see as a problem with emphasizing intellect um, and not balancing emotions is that the intellect can be a distraction – because of its discursive quality. Uh, This is similar to the story you told uh, before, Jim, about how you would be doing work and you'd have these stories going on in your head about what you're going to do and anticipating things. I do the exact same thing. Um, So there's this distracting quality to it, but there's also a justifying quality to it. The The justifying quality is problematic because it allows us to ignore the emotional charge of experience that occurs to us. Um, when we can use our mind to channel it into, well, it's because of this thing or it's because of that thing. Um, and we sort of like cage it off in this like, you know, crystalline structure of thought, instead of really letting it seep into our body and our heart and feeling what that feels like. Um, I think that's where the intellect really becomes um, a an impediment to forward progress. Um, and this is, you know, just a, just a, one more point. I think this is why the balancing exercises, as those of Ra describe it, are so useful. One of the things that stand out to me about their uh, quote on that is they talk about how once you, for example, are balancing anger and you can sense the randomness of the energy. I think that thing about the randomness of the energy is really useful because – there's something implied in there. You guys might not get this from it, and maybe I'm wrong, but I see them really saying when you balance this emotion, you separate your thinking about it from the raw experience of the emotion, and then you can experience that emotion um, untethered and un. un- uncontrolled by your you know discursive thoughts that just keep going on and on and on. And once you can feel that emotion on its own terms, you have the ability to really balance it and then freshly think about it, freshly marshal your intellectual resources towards using that emotional energy and, and accepting it. So that's that's all I really have to say on that.
0: That is, um, that's very insightful, uh, especially that example you just used about the anger and the randomness of it. And it's very related to how what I was going to say. So it uh, segues into my response dispenser perfectly. But an initial thought on that concept of, uh, allowing the anger to be perceived in the raw emotion of it versus the thoughts. You talked about Ross, saying you re, then realize at that point, the randomness of it. Before that point, I think that the thoughts that it generates make us think that it maybe isn't so random, that there's some sort of logic to our anger, that we're justified like you're talking about. We have a reason to be angry and then we follow that trail of logic and kind of fool ourselves into thinking that that's the where the emotion comes from. But then once we allow ourselves to stop that logical thinking and just allow the anger to be perceived for what it is, then we realize that it's actually a lot more random than we've uh, let ourselves believe. So that relates to my uh, thoughts about Spencer's question and sort of a direct uh, way that I think people can try to get from the head to the heart, and that is to just put a pause on that rational analysis that uh, we can tend to do with our emotions, especially those who call themselves or might perceive themselves or really are more on the path of wisdom. I think people like that, which I'll say I believe... You know, I classify myself as that as well because I just find, have found it for a long time difficult to really get into the open heart and I felt so much more comfortable rationalizing things. But, uh, in doing that, in rationalizing things, I think that we are sort of bypassing the, uh, root of the emotion. So, um, it's a great thing that Ra gives us in this perspective of emotions being um, tools of insight and generating from internal imbalances or biases. Uh, it's one of the most freeing things that has I've ever learned is uh, that perspective from Ra. But... I'll say that when I first learned about that, it was like any time I'd experience an emotion, I'd sort of just be like, oh, hey, let me just immediately take this into rational analysis and figure out where it's coming from and what it's saying about me. And uh, instead of you know, sitting with the emotion and perceiving it, I would immediately run with it and start to uh, abstract it and try to figure out where it was coming from inside of me so I could soothe that portion inside of me uh, where the anger was coming from. So, uh, I'm not saying necessarily to stop rational analysis of emotions at all. Uh, don't, you know, n- never analyze your emotions again, but instead, um, honor the emotion for what it is, instead of immediately taking it into your rational analysis and uh, accept the emotion as a part of you. And uh, just allow it space, allow it a point at the center of your being as you observe it in love. And that's an internal um, approach that I think can help people get more into the heart rather than in the head. But you can then turn that process outward i think in how we perceive people that we feel we can serve in that i think people with the strong rational capability tend to meet people who might need our help or might seem like they need help they're suffering and immediately that person's issues become an abstract problem for us to solve and we sort of uh stop listening to the suffering we stop paying attention to the suffering itself and instead attack it as a problem to to solve and this service then becomes sort of this goal in and of itself and i think that a good way to uh, get to the heart in that situation is again to pause the rational analysis instead of immediately thinking about how can we solve this problem that needs to be solved that's in front of us um give pay honor to the suffering that you're witnessing and to the person who is suffering and listen to them and, um, really give them space to be who they are as an entity. And sometimes that's all somebody needs as a service. They don't necessarily need you to fix their problems for them. They just need to express themselves and their suffering. And that is the best way that you can serve them. So, um, inwardly and outwardly i think that we can just pause the rational analysis and that really helps to get to the heart um so any initial responses from uh, any of you guys uh gary or jim do you have any direct uh advice about how to get from head to heart
1: well a thought came to me while you were talking um my first uh response was pay attention to your catalyst We have pre-incarnated choices that will be coming around to us as our subconscious mind first looks at catalyst and gives us an interpretation of it, a biased interpretation that we want it to give us, and then uh, we can work with it. And then I thought, well, you know, Ross said, not only do we have pre-incarnated choices that are effective in our incarnations, but we can reprogram during the incarnation if we want to in certain ways. So I was thinking, if we were trying to open the heart, maybe... Besides balancing the catalyst that comes our way, we could, in meditation or contemplation, we could look at our day that we just had and imagine what it would have been like to have responded with an open heart in whatever situation we were in and meditate on that quality. And I think that if we would do this over a period of time, it would be like uh, forming an image. Or a channel of what it would be like to have an open heart. We don't know what it really looked like metaphysically or anything, but we do know, or the, think I know, that if we continue to make an effort in that direction, that we are adding energy to this image and this concept, this channel, and burnishing it like we're shining it, making it uh, bright and, and brilliant. And perhaps at some point then it would um, mesh in with pre-incarnate choices or take precedence over pre-incarnate choices. I don't know. But I think maybe we could make conscious efforts to reprogram and perhaps even be able to do it.
0: Uh, thank you for that, Jim. Uh, Gary, how, what are your thoughts?
3: Oh, A couple thoughts. One was – oh yeah i wanted to amplify just a little bit more about what you were saying austin about when you meet with somebody and and they share with you something that they are experiencing especially if it's a problem then immediately the rational analysis kicks in and, and wants to try solving the problem for the person but you advise like suspending that momentarily and just being with them and um i wanted to amplify that a little bit and speak to a workshop that austin and i attended at the omega institute last month led by charles eisenstein and um this really this approach that Austin is describing really speaks to the heart of his own approach as well. And he had us pair up with one person or in a group of three or four at different points and um, perform these exercises. And they involved um, basically sharing each other, sometimes difficulties that we've experienced in the past. Uh, But he advised us when listening to what the other person was sharing, not to go into resolution mode, um, but like, don't try to solve the problem for them, but rather give them your full, compassionate, listening attention. And that alone, that act alone of just feeling what they're feeling and listening to what they're saying um, holds the space for them so that their own guidance or own solution, if, if a solution is needed, or can come through. Or if not solution, just maybe the solution is simply to experience what is being said or felt. And that in and of itself is processes, um, life material, <clears throat> rock calls it data, experiential data. Um, it creates the opening whereby that experiential data can sink into the being and gears can turn on levels below the conscious threshold. And it's really the heart that is the gateway to allowing that experiential data to come into the self because otherwise, looping back to what has been said by us through this conversation. Otherwise, the intellect kind of keeps that at bay. So, yeah, that was my thought. Back to you, host.
0: Um, awesome. Are you guys uh, good to keep going with this discussion a little while longer? Sure. I'm good. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So, uh Moving on to something I found interesting about Spencer's question. He used some phrasing that I think can inform a little bit more about this discussion about wisdom. Uh, he talks about becoming emotionally stubborn because the knowledge of human behavior makes it more difficult to take social situations and interactions seriously. I think that's a really interesting concept, but um, I'd like to concentrate on that word knowledge and ask what you guys think How knowledge applies to wisdom. Is the knowledge the same thing as wisdom? Because to me, it seems like Spencer is sort of conflating the two things in uh, this statement. So how is knowledge related to wisdom? Are they the same thing? Or what is the difference between the two? And I'm going to call you out again, Jeremy. What do you think?
2: Well, what do you guys think he means by knowledge of human behavior? I'm not sure I understood that.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So uh I'm operating on the assumption that he means that um he has insight into why people are acting like they are. Like he feels like uh, wis- wisdom maybe or knowledge of how humans behave might give him some deeper insight into why there, a social interaction is going a certain way. And so all he sees are the distortions or the... the Uh, the surface personality maybe and it makes it hard for him to take it seriously because he can maybe he feels he sees a deeper level to it
2: and that's really interesting because it's a very detached way of looking at it and and my understanding of buddhism prior to looking into uh this book was precisely that buddhism was about that kind of detachment and being able to live a, a a more content life by detaching um so that so now that now that that makes more sense to me that that this this whole thing is uh something that's worth uh commenting on definitely um i think knowledge of human behavior so so when, when if what you're saying by that is recognizing a pattern of behavior that you can see the underlying currents of you uh one might consider that the only way you can recognize it is that it's within you and that uh you are working outwardly with a energetic dynamic that is within you too. And one way to look at it is to, you know, become emotionally stubborn and be like, you know, well, well, you should work out your issues, man. Um, Mm -hmm. But another way is to see that this is a reflection of what you either are going through, have gone through in the past or are going to go through in the future. And, uh, if that if that seems confounding to somebody, if that seems like, well, I'm just going through the same stuff over and over again, I'm just keep dealing with people who are emotionally stuck. Um, well, then that is a great way to work on your own stuckness. Um, you know, there's this story in, in that that Chodron talks about in the book of the Buddha being attacked by uh, the forces of Mara. Uh, where uh, they shoot these arrows and and swords and spears at him, and they all turn to flowers. And what Chodron says is her interpretation of that is that what we consider to be challenging things to us, uncomfortable things that we typically tend to avoid or seek to avoid, are actually showing us exactly where we're stuck. In fact, I have never heard a better explanation for what Catalyst actually is than that. Being stuck... I, I interpret that as blockages and showing where we 're stuck that 's the role the catalyst plays. We see it as this thing to be overcome, this problem to avoid, but it 's actually exactly what the path is and that 's actually a uh a precept of stoicism too that the obstacle is the path that the things that are actually way you know, you know coming in on you, making you feel small, making you feel rigid uh, 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 boxing you in, uh, giving you that spiky uncomfortable feeling that you just want to just throw down everything and just run away. That is precisely where you need to work on. And it is the, it is your best friend. Um, So that would be my uh, response. I don't know if it's dealing specifically with what he said, but it's certainly what it made me feel.
0: (laughs) Um, I think that it is because what I heard was a, an approach to using knowledge with wisdom In a heart based ways, recognizing human behavior, you have the knowledge that, you know, uh, allows you to recognize that, but then it's wisdom that allows you to apply it in a certain way and recognize how it is relevant to you. And exactly.
2: uh, And, And just like Jim said, until you fully feel it, until you fully experience it, until you open yourself up to the fact that you can't feel Really, really, really good and positive things unless you're able to feel really, really bad and negative things and that those are two sides of the same coin. Um, You're going to keep running into this, either in social situations or, you know, internally.
0: Yeah.
1: So, Jim, do
0: you have any uh, thoughts about that or the difference between knowledge and wisdom, how they are related?
1: Uh, Just a quick one or two, maybe. I think Ra was assuming the very same thing that uh, Jeremy just said that our problems are our best friends when they said there are no mistakes. So that takes into account everything that happens to you in this illusion. And that's what we have to remember, that this is an illusion. This is a school. We're learning certain lessons at the third grade level. And even though we might think that something that is happening to us is just dastardly or ridiculous or uh, too much, um, Also, said we won't be given more than we can bear. That's really why the lifetimes went down from 900 to 700 now to around 100 years because uh, we weren't able to use catalyst well on this planet and we couldn't bear 900 years of what we're doing here. Uh, So, I I think that uh, that's uh, an agreement with what Jerry was saying. And uh, I I was thinking about Don when you were talking about uh, what is the difference between wisdom and knowledge. I think that Don had both. And uh, when he was 26, he uh, had been thinking about the uh, nature of life for already half of his life at least. You know, the big questions uh, how the universe works and what's his purpose in it, place in it. And uh, he evaluated the situation around himself as saying that, you know, this was an insane asylum. People were behaving very, very poorly here. They were letting their emotions get a hold of them and take them up and down, uh, feel really good, really bad. They were on roller coaster rides. They were not in control at all. Their lives were just uh, a mess. So he decided that he would not do that. He would not use, basically, he was not going to use Catalyst. His famous uh, saying was, I'm just an observer. And he was very, very wise. He was the wisest person I've ever met. But in that particular choice, what he did was cut off the path to the heart. He put a, a steel cage around his heart. And it wasn't until the very last life, year of his life, that he was able, forced to actually, um, by those circumstances of the uh, energy exchange with Carlin, uh, our negative friend making intensifications of problems and initiation and so forth, that all of that came down and all of a sudden he couldn't keep from feeling tremendous emotions and it was overwhelming, it was just uh, almost uh, paralyzing so in that regard, you know, the choice that he made to be, you know, let his wisdom take the the lead in his life was uh, something that really got him a long distance, you know, but it couldn't take him all the way, I mean, it, it who else could have asked those questions to Ra? You know, he had that uh, intelligence and intuition and wisdom that was just unsurpassed. But then in the end, uh, the, he had to be balanced. And uh, it was a rough balancing. And um, well, that, that, I guess that's what I had to say.
0: Yeah. Um, in the dynamic that Ra said that you trio had, uh, you know, Carla represented love, you represented power, and he represented wisdom. So, um I think that's an interesting uh thing to contemplate, Gary. Uh what are your thoughts? It may be semantics,
3: but I tend to see knowledge as information collecting like one could have knowledge about uh arts or commerce or mathematics or any particular field of human inquiry um whereas a being could be very wise without having a great deal of knowledge. <clears throat> um, they could lead a very simple life that does not have much contact with the complexities and intricacies of our society. Um, I think Jim and Jeremy, especially what Jeremy was saying earlier, um, moves more toward what actual wisdom may um, wisdom is a is a sort of clear sighted seeing that isn't necessarily diagnostic of every situation i mean the wise entity doesn't look at the person with blockage and say aha you were blocked because this and this happened in your childhood and here's how to fix you but rather i think um wisdom moves more in the direction of what jeremy was describing that all is the self and all is a reflection of the self So the wise entity, the the truly wise entity, um, uh, will look at a situation and see his or her mirror. And um, I think responsibility. Am I out?
0: No, No. I think he's just laughing because that was a funny noise. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's cool.
3: Um, And the transcript will just have to put in brackets funny noise right there. um so what was i saying Wiz oh clear-sighted seeing and s- seeing all as a self um there's a certain taking of responsibility in the wise entity too because they see that where th- the unwise entity may project that that um their own experience onto somebody else and see the other self as the cause whereas wisdom would inform the self that the actual cause and genesis Of the experience is within the other self is just the mirror or the proximate cause so turn the attention and look within which isn't to say that there's not something to deal with on the outer level but inwardly that's where the catalyst is really beginning and where the work really is and so that's a measure of wisdom as is um, communicating the self radiating without expectation of return is what ross said so taking that the love that one has in one's heart and giving it outward and not having that giving be contingent on what the other person uh, says or does or whether that person returns the gift that also is an aspect of wisdom and um finally, I wanted to say that I had actually highlighted take social situations and action interaction seriously, because like you Austin, I felt that that was um, indicative of what Spencer might be thinking. And in terms of taking social situations and interactions seriously, that could uh, point to a, a few different uh, mind states or perspectives that Spencer has, including that could be uh, a form of condescension even to say, um, you know to look down upon what these idiot humans are doing and um you know i figured this out and i'm above it and i'm not accusing you spencer of that i'm just saying that
0: it's <laughs> a possibility
3: uh, but also it could be indifference um closer to what don was experiencing like um i've seen through the nature of this catalyst it doesn't um have any hooks in me i am indifferent to it uh and I, I think that is part of wisdom, maybe, to not get so thrown around in the turmoil. In fact, Ross says to the truly balanced entity, um, all things are love and an opportunity to love. So you're not caught in the drama per se. So that that is wise. But um, indifference itself, if if um, if that is where Spencer is going, I don't think that is necessarily wise. But anyways. I'm getting into rambling territory. Back to you.
0: Well, I think it actually uh, brings up maybe the last and final topic that I had. Um, What I hear all of you talking about in wisdom sounds like what I would consider the positive approach to wisdom. And that especially what Jeremy was talking about with how recognizing the human behavior can then help you relate to that human behavior by based on what is inside of you. And that to me is a unifying thing. It is uh, bringing a closer connection between you and the behavior and the person who is exhibiting that behavior um, closer together because you are recognizing the commonalities and on the deepest level, recognizing that those behaviors are coming from the exact same place um uh, within the creator so uh i think that this is a a positive uh, wisdom approach and i actually you know just uh listening to you talk about the indifference that um can be brought about by this knowledge feel like that might be not necessarily the negative approach to wisdom but maybe um can point the way to the negative approach to wisdom where you have the knowledge of human behavior and allow it to distance yourself between that entity or that situation to a point where you are so separated from it that then you can then control it from a distant indifferent point and only utilize it to how it serves yourself so what i would like to open up to the group whoever has any thoughts is uh the difference between positive and negative wisdom because Ra talks about the both paths having this wisdom available to them and um how you feel they might be related or different anybody have any ideas
3: Quick insert, uh, Jim was the one that was verified to have been bitten by the serpent (laughs) of Negrist.
0: Yeah, we should probably uh, let that person uh, talk. Jim, how did you um, maybe briefly explain that experience and then how you interpreted it?
1: Okay. Um, We were just about ready to uh, publish either book three of The Law of One or what Don wanted to do was publish all three books together in one hardback book. But we didn't have the money to do that, so it wasn't possible. But that he kept wanting to do that instead, so I got angry. The first time and only time I ever got angry at Don. You know, like I said, we, we, we don't have the money to do it. We can't do it. Why talk about it? Let's do what we can do. So that was a disagreement that lasted for about a day. And uh, what I was doing was focusing on the thought of what to do. I was not focusing on Don and why it was that he wanted to do this or I wasn't showing any kind of compassion toward Don. I was separating myself from Don. I was saying that I had a better idea. I had a workable idea. His idea wasn't as good as mine and it wasn't workable. So I held on to the idea instead of holding on to Don. And that caused the separation between us. And I think that's the difference between positive and negative wisdom. Uh, positive wisdom sees a way to make uh, a, a bond between two people, a way to share inspiration, a way to share information, a way to be together in a, a higher way. Whereas negative wisdom finds ways to separate and to dominate and control. And so I was in some way trying to separate, did separate myself from Don for a day and tried to get my way because I thought my way was the best way. <laughs> you know? I was, so that's uh, how it worked for us. And uh, it didn't take too long for the uh, the spider. I think the spider bit me that either that night or the night the next night. And I, I woke up with um, three um, bite marks on my left arm. And within two weeks, I would gained thirty pounds of water weight because my kidneys have been adversely affected. In my supra renal glands had been affected, so that was the way it worked
0: yeah, that's um I think Ra talks about that in session one o one if anybody wants to uh, look more into that because it's a very interesting event that happened. uh Jeremy, have you ever contemplated the difference between positive and negative wisdom?
2: Oh yeah. Um, especially with respect to emotions, like we're talking about now, I think a lot of what negative wisdom is, is the ultimate protection of feeling bad.
1: Hmm.
2: And, you know, the reason why, the reason why I say that is, uh, one of the most poignant, uh, turns of phrase in the law of one material is, uh, those of Ra describing themselves as the brothers and sisters of sorrow. Uh, Drove deep into my heart with that um, because uh, what what I started to realize maybe they were saying was that they loved us so much that they were willing to feel the pain and really look at the pain that we're feeling and that that was how much they loved us. Um, When you use your intellect um, as a way to avoid feeling that deeply, um, you actually trap yourself in that you actually if you can't face. A particular negative emotion you will keep facing that negative emotion over and over again that is just how the universe works and um we think we have a choice about what we can feel um but what we really have is a it's kind of like what the course of miracles says you have a choice on when you feel it you don't have a choice whether to feel it or not and that being a full uh expression of the creator means being able to feel the entire spectrum of emotion and that is hard to face, but um, we, we have good uh, resources for that. Um, the intellect can be an ally in that, but you have to use the intellect um, in line with – you have to use the intellect to take advantage of the full feeling, not just what you want to feel, but all of it. And once you have that basis, um, you won't need to the separation of distancing yourself from feeling bad, and then going the full circle of you know wanting to make other people feel bad and 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 feeding on that that tension, um, you can just accept it all as self. And when you feel bad, you feel bad, and when you feel good, you feel good, and it's all the self. That's what I have to say.
0: Awesome, Gary. What are your thoughts? Yeah, the, uh,
3: Jeremy, I had never considered brothers and brothers and sisters of sorrow in quite that light before about uh feeling the pain and or the the entirety of the creation and that makes that's very insightful i enjoyed that um positive versus negative wisdom um i would see like in essence negative wisdom is still wisdom it's just without love love completely omitted and the pure the negative wisdom the less love there is to be had until there can be wisdom with literally zero point zero percent love available um the the negatively wise entity i imagine um i don't believe i've ever met one but um Can still have that same clear sight about the situation but because there is no empathy there whatsoever there is no desire to relate there's no desire to support there's no desire um to recognize the interconnectedness and the mirroring effect rather there is battle there is a judgment of the other self and the the clear sight of wisdom itself whether positive or negative but On the negative path, that clear sight can see the vulnerabilities and weaknesses of the other person and seek to exploit those um, for the benefit of the self. The negative wisdom is maneuvering and conniving and trying to come out on top and be superior or be the one that is in dominance or so on and so forth. Um, But I think it's important to remember, too, that in wisdom, there is wisdom is a light and it is a power, and it's the same light that the positive entity uses. It's just to cycle back to where I started without love, without empathy. And um, to conclude, I wanted to say regarding Jim's experience that Jim had this anger towards Don that led to a conceptual separation in his mind, and he was focusing on that separation instead of their underlying unity. And there was an immediate feedback mechanism, like he got bit by the spider within 24 hours. And uh, I want to say that if I was under the intensity and brightness of the light that you three stood in for the raw contact, that I would be so hosed (laughs) with feedback mechanisms that rapid and effective, like – I don't know how long I'd be able to hold out because uh, I do have a very grumbly brain or
0: mind work in progress. But anyways, my thoughts. All right. Well, we are probably coming up on our time. I did want to share a quote from Ra that uh, Jeremy and Gary touched on, Um, especially Jeremy. And this isn't directly related to wisdom, but it is at least inspirational. And it's when Don was talking about or asking Ra about why they answer the call, basically um and uh raw says the general cause of service such as the confederation offers is that of the primal distortion of the law of one which is service the one being of the creation is like unto a body if you will accept this third density analogy would we ignore a pain in the leg a bruise upon the skin a cut which is festering no there is no ignoring the call Uh, We, the entities of sorrow, choose as our service the attempt to heal the sorrow, which we are calling analogous to the pains of a physical body complex distortion. That's in um, session 14, question 18, and I think it speaks to the fact that they're calling this pains in the body as if they are feeling the pain themselves like uh they are the creator's brain recognizing a pain in the creator's leg and they are seeking to soothe that pain so um it's uh, one of my favorite quotes i think any final thoughts from anybody before we close the show out
3: Super briefly, um, the randomness of red ray anger was discussed earlier in the show. And if you're interested, there is a Q&A in the December 17, 2016
0: uh, quo transcript that discusses that. And otherwise, nope, I sign up. Awesome. Uh, Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us. This is uh, really insightful to listen to you talk about your path of wisdom and heart.
2: I am I always uh, appreciate talking to you guys. You guys are wonderful to listen to and when I can get a word in uh, to actually talk back to you guys um, instead of just listening passively through the uh, through the through the earphones that is just a blessing. <laughs> thank you.
0: Yeah, we really appreciate it too uh, Jim, any final words for the listeners?
1: yeah uh, I also want to thank Jeremy for being with us. It's a real honor to have him here for the life up the show. Mike rice. And uh, I'd just like to say to everybody who uh, listens to us, we appreciate you being there. We can uh, feel your love. We hope that you can feel our love for you. We thank you for your questions. That is uh, what we really live on here. We need your questions. We all need each other to question and answer and help bring each other home.
0: You have been listening to LL Research's podcast, In the Now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thank you so much for listening, for supporting this podcast with your questions, and a special thank you to Spencer for sending us the question and uh, Jeremy for helping us discuss the question. Uh, if you'd like to hear us ramble on about a particular topic, please read the instructions on our page, www.llresearch.org. New episodes are published to the Archive website every other Wednesday afternoon Eastern for the most part. Have a wonderful couple of weeks, and we will talk with you then.